Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hi, welcome back. Um, I'm Brendan Bashan Sullivan. I'm an undergrad and I work for the Yale Sustainable Food Project. I'm sitting here with Bren Smith, who is the founder and proprietor of the Thimble Island Oyster Company in Long Island Sound. Um, today we've been talking with Bren about how he arrived at his project of running Thimble Island. Um, now we're going to dig in a little more to the structure of Thimble Island, how it differs from other oyster farms, and also about the um, various environmental impacts and in most cases positive impacts that Thimble Island is able to have. So so uh, welcome welcome back, Bren. Thanks. Um, so what I'd, what I'd like to ask you first is, you, is you've published a number of articles describing your 3D model of aquaculture. Uh, can, you, can you describe for, the, for our audience um, how Thimble Island works um, with, your, with the vertical structuring of your, of your various crops? Sure. So, you know, I started out oystering, uh, just doing oysters and clams in cages. And what happened was climate change actually came in. The storms, Irene, Sandy came and wiped out my crops. I'd lose 80% of my oysters, huge amount of my gear as the storm surges came in and buried everything. Oysters drowned very quickly um, in the mud. So started out an oyster farmer and then figured that I had to adapt. I was just losing too much crops. And I actually, I got on Google actually and started searching around for what other things I can grow. And over time, what's happened is instead of thinking of it as an oyster farm, um, the question was, okay, what can we do in a 20-acre space? So to treat this as an eco-space, how many different kinds of um, species can we grow that actually restore rather than deplete the environment? So we, so what the farm looks like now is um, imagine a, um, uh, um, uh, a sort of a vertical garden where you have floating long lines on top with buoys. So that's all you see. You just see these um, probably uh, 10 or 15 buoys per line. Growing uh, um, off of that line is kelp, which grows very fast, grows um, uh, 6 to 12 feet in five months. Then also we have scallops and mussels hanging in, in mussel socks and scallop lantern nets also off the long lines. And then below that are the cages with the oysters and clams in them. And that's what makes it 3D. It's a really efficient use of space, um, really small footprint, and, um, and it has a low sort of aesthetic impact. Because people can, all they see is a, um, uh, lines of buoys out there. So, can you talk about uh, m- more specifically? You, 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 so, you mentioned that that climate change was one of the major factors in in restructuring this way. Do do you want to talk about some of the remediative remediative effects that uh, that this kind of farming can have uh, on ecosystems like the Long Island Sound? Sure, sure. So. Um, right now, environmentalism on the ocean is really, it's all about ocean conservation. And so the conservationists are obsessed with setting up par- you know, uh, marine parks, conservation zones. Um, they're very concerned about overfishing, labeling of fish, things like that. And those are really important. They're pieces of the puzzle, but they duck the biggest environmental problem that our oceans face and our planet face, which is climate change and acidification. As if you're a conservationist these days on the oceans, I don't think you can call yourself an environmentalist because you could just eat well-labeled fish. Um, you could reduce overfishing. You could set aside conservation zones. But because of acidification, because of climate change, rising seas, changing water temperatures, 
um, uh, the oceans are going to die, and they're going to die quickly. We're going through, we're in the middle of the biggest marine extin extin extinction in human history. Right? So we have to take, um, think about this completely differently. So the question isn't to me how do we, uh, uh, whether we save our seas, but whether the seas can save us. And, and the reason I say that, why I think the seas can save us, is that millions of years ago, Mother Nature came up with oysters and shellfish, which are these incredible creatures that mitigate our harm. And so if we grow these very deliberately, when we just pick these species uh, on a 20-acre farm like mine, we can do a couple things. One is oysters um, filter 50 gallons of water a day, pull nitrogen out of the water column. That's a huge cause of the massive dead zones, uh, both in Long Island Sound and um, uh, all over our oceans. They act as um, storm surges. Uh, in New York Harbor, uh, when the oyster reefs disappeared, the, uh, the, the speed of the currents went from 3 miles per hour to 6 miles per hour. Right? So we need these reefs back in order to slow down currents, stop storm surges, things like that. It's this whole evolving thing of oyster texture. We use our artificial cages and all our gear function as artificial reefs, which attract over 100 species to our farm. So you go 100 yards outside of my farm border, and you find emptiness. You come to my farm, you find a thriving ecosystem. So we took a barren patch and restored it. That's the oysters. And then the other you know, secret weapon that Mother Nature has given us is seaweed. And seaweed is a, um, this incredible tool against climate change. And the question is, can we turn fishermen into climate farmers? Because um, kelp is used both. It's an incredible tool for a carbon capture and for biofuel. As carbon capture, um, it, a kelp absorbs five times more carbon than land-based plants. As a biofuel, in one acre area, you can create 2,000 gallons of bio, uh, kelp biofuel because of its high sugar content. The Department of Energy's figured out, and this is just a stunning number, if you, if you set aside um, an area half the size of Maine to grow kelp, you could replace all the oil in the United States. I got a call from DuPont three months ago. Um, uh, because they're exploring these questions. We've got a program now that we're just starting up with the Department of Energy, with Woods Hole, and a couple other universities to explore this. So if, if, the, if the oyster texture uh, that you're talking about uh, is so success, is, 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 it holds out so much promise, um, what, are, what, are some of the, what are some of the barriers standing in its way right now? Um, why is it that aquaculture, as it's practiced in the ocean, has developed more slowly than intensive on-land fish farming? Yeah. Um, well, first, we screwed up, right? So after I left the Bering Sea, I went out to aquaculture farms because this was the promised land post-fish, right, post-wild fish. And they industrialized right away, created terrible, you know, um, terrible tasting fish, polluting fish, shocked with antibiotics. And then they've pursued a strategy of mislabeling, essentially, and calling things wild when they're not. Right? So um, the whole, uh, uh, so that's been one problem: is that the industry industrialized and industrialized in the wrong way, and there's been a huge pushback. I think the biggest problem with, with the biggest hurdle for a farm like mine, a 3D vertical farm growing five different species, is that. Uh, people think of the ocean as a wild space, as a pristine space, unlike land. 
And I, I'm so sympathetic to that. I think of it that way. I mean, that's how I grew up. You look out, and it's just it's this untouched, unruined by humans. But it's just not true. Under the water, there's devastation. There's there's plastic. There's um, uh, uh, we're pumping too much carbon. You know, massive fish kills all over the place. Um, so. Um, because people want to conserve and keep it pristine, they won't tackle this problem that we need to, we need almost an industrial policy. We need some sort of planning on our oceans to save our oceans. So, you know, my vision and what I'd hope for is that farms like mine growing fuel, food, fertilizer, because we go organic fertilizer too, would dot our coastlines mixed with conservation zones um, that and we'd be providing food. We'd be uh, we'd be bridging with organic farmers, land-based farming, uh, to to close the nitrogen loop there, and we'd be growing f- uh, fuel as well. But just conceptually, people can't imagine that because they want to keep it pristine. And again, if we if I believed we could keep it pristine and save the seas, I'd totally agree and do that. But I just I don't think it's an option anymore. It's it's interesting to hear you talk about. Um an industrial um, relationship to the ocean. Um, because from, from the way that you've described your project and the fact that your your farm has become pretty much the only viable ecosystem uh, in its vicinity, um, is, is, are, would you say we're, we're sort of pointing towards a, a a look for industrialization or a style of ocean industrialization that maybe doesn't carry the connotations of, of polluting and mechanical structures, because it seems like from what you're talking about, it's an industrialization that involves using a lot of resources um, or, or maneuvering a lot of resources and a lot of organization, but it also fundamentally preserves um, a relationship to the wild spaces of the ocean. And, you, you know, you, you encounter that in your crop, um, even, even with, with the parasites that you encounter. I'd imagine that's, that's a consequence. But if you could talk about, um, you know, avenues for ecological industrialization, I'd be, I'd be very curious to hear. I think um, the big debate we need, and I'd say this is land and sea to some degree, is um, we, need to de- we, we need a major debate in this country around the concept of planning. We fundamentally, our market system, we don't believe in planning. We don't allow for planning. And in the era of climate, cri- uh, climate crisis, if we're going to save Wall Street from 11-foot seas, um, we need to um, create dams. We need to create, um, hopefully, oyster reefs. All sorts of things. But that creates both. That needs requires both public investment and a debate in society of where to put resources. So on the and so that's sort of the general, I think, conversation that needs to be hap- happening. And then on sea, what that means is, and people get frightened by the word industrial. The other way to say it is in, in uh, um, uh, sustainable development. Um, that. Um, we need to think about the oceans, about questions about wind farms, energy creation. This is the debate off of um, uh, uh, Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket. Um, we need to think about food production and mixing it in a whole new way where we're not um, depleting resources. It's not about growth for growth's sake, um, that we actually think about integrating with nature. And, and 
I think nature can give us the tools and we can add the creativity and the technologies together that, that we can do this with Mother Nature. I, um, I, I, sometimes I think our industrial policy, our planning process, um, uh, what it really lacks is creativity. Like it lacks imagination. It's seen as a political fight, but this could be such an amazing, uh, creative, exploratory time where we figure out new ways to both um, re relate to our natural resources, but ways to organize society so people can have jobs, so we can have a sustainable um, economy. And I'll say that I don't approach this stuff as a classic environmentalist. I mean, I'm not my my goal isn't to save fish. I kill fish for a living and always have. I think we need we need to create jobs. We need um, economic development in general um, because uh, and we need to protect the oceans because we need to save our lives and livelihoods. And with the with the protein pressures, I mean, 3.5 billion people, um, uh, 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 their main source of uh, food sources from the oceans. Half of the oxygen we breathe comes from the oceans. It has to survive for us to survive. Um, but in order for it to uh, sur uh, survive, we need to create ocean jobs for fishermen. 850 million fishermen uh, around the world make their, their living at sea. Uh, we need to transition these people. And, uh, and if we do this without um, thinking about the, 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 how, to, how people can feed themselves and have meaningful, digni dignified work, I don't think we're ever going to um, save the seas. Thanks, Bren. Um, we'll take another short break, and then we'll transition into a, a segment on uh, how you've been able to change palates and, and sort of the food landscape with, with uh, some of your products. So again, thank you. Thank you for your insights here, and um, tune in for our next segment as well. Uh, we'll be talking about Bren's work with the foodie sector. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at www.yale.edu slash sustainable food.